Today's gospel lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Listen for the word of God as it touches your hearts, your minds, and your souls. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But Jesus, turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and profit their life, forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me, those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. May the words of my heart and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's think about the ritual that most of us have when we meet a stranger. There's a fairly standard ritual followed as we seek to get to know that person. We reach out our right hand and say hello, introduce ourselves, give our names. Then we ask the question, where do you live? How Are you married? Do you have a family? Where did you grow up? Where did you get do, where's your job? Where did you go to school? What are your hobbies? A stranger then turns into an acquaintance, and we get a sense of who that person might be. And we gain some of the background. In, if that relationship, if that relationship develops, there are other insights that we gain. Perhaps we begin to understand a person's values that shape their behavior and their decisions. We get a sense what drives them or if they are driven at all. We can sense their integrity and if they're trustworthy how they might treat others with dignity and compassion, or something other than that. An acquaintance may turn into a friend, and with further experience, a friend may be, turn into a lifelong companion. 
I, me, Ken, I can clear a social gathering in a matter of moments. I can approach a group of people and they'll reach out their hand, hello. So, hello, my name is Ken. And they ask, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm the pastor at First Presbyterian Church. And with that, drinks go behind them. And pretty soon their wives are flagging them down. And pretty soon I'm standing there all alone. I can clear a room with the best of them. In today's scripture lesson, Mark paints a scene that takes place some considerable time after Jesus and his disciples began their relationship with each other. Jesus takes that moment in their lives together by asking the disciples what they've heard other people say about him. People obviously have been talking about him because the disciples have something to report. Then Jesus moves to the critical question, the question of time. But who do you say that I am? Peter, of course, jumps up and, well, I know where you came from. I, ha, I know what you've done. I see what you've done. you do all the time from what he's heard Jesus say and what God has whispered in his ears and he affirms and he proclaims, you, Jesus, are the Messiah. But Jesus accepts this title, the one that Peter uses and his answer. But then right smack dab in the middle, the exchange with Peter and the other disciples, Peter, Jesus sternly, he doesn't just say, now don't say anything. Jesus sternly says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Now, Jesus admonishes his disciples quite strongly. That's the, the Greek word, to keep quiet about who he is. And then the next conversation old Pete has suggests one reason why Jesus says this. It becomes clear that when Peter calls him the Messiah, he may have the right title, but good old Peter has the wrong understanding of what the title means for Jesus. When Jesus declares quite openly that he's going to suffer, that he's going to be rejected, he's going to be killed, Peter doesn't want to hear that. Peter just doesn't want to hear it. Peter won't have any of it. Jesus, Jesus is now lifting the veil of secrecy. No parables. There's no stories. There's no miracles. Jesus is just offering straight talk. I wonder if Peter even hears the last part of Jesus' statement, the part about rising in three days. Peter doesn't want to hear about all the suffering that the Messiah is going to do. He apparently is looking for a Messiah who will establish God's rule and power with authority and who will bring his followers glory and reward. Now let's think about our relationship with Jesus. We've come to know him in the biblical witness and in the life of the Christian community. You and I have made our own assessment and, and judgment about who Jesus is. We call him our Savior, the Christ, the Messiah. We call him Lord, we call him Master, Friend, Teacher, Son of God, Rock and Redeemer. I believe we need to listen carefully to Peter's experience as an alert, as an alert for us. Do we really believe, and better yet, 
Do we understand who Jesus is and how we relate to him in and outside these four walls? Do we serve with humility and love? Do we serve with justice and wisdom? Do we serve bearing the cross that he offers us to take up? Do we do it in faith and trust? When we speak of Jesus, when we speak of Jesus and who he is, do we truly speak with the conviction and the fortitude he calls for, with humility and reverence that comes from the awareness of who he is and that we get the title right, but we not, may not fully understand what it might mean for us. Do we die to our old ways, our old thinking, our old acting, our old serving? For Jesus is calling us and has been calling us to do just that. And that's what he's been teaching the disciples up to this point and what he's been teaching us. He tells us how to be and what it will take to be a disciple. He doesn't promise that it's going to be easy. Oh, it's not going to be easy at all. Quite the contrary. He tells us we will have to take up our cross and follow him and his ways and his teachings, reflecting love, not hate. Inclusion, not exclusion, regardless of our gender, regardless of our race, of belief, of religion, of size, of sexuality, and to boldly stand up for that love when others, even other Christians, do not. I believe that we need to listen very carefully in order for us to live Jesus' telling us what we must do and what we must die to. I'm not saying that he's calling us to physically die, although Jesus may call some of us to do that someday. Jesus is saying we must die to the way we are, the way that we live, the way that we relate to others and to God and to ourselves. In order to live, to grow, and to really prosper, we must first die to the way that we live, and Jesus calls on us to die to the ways of the world. Jesus calls us to live in the world, but not be of the world. He calls us to be different. Oh, he calls us to be so different. If we are to truly reflect his face, we just have to. Some folks, Jesus' words, to some folks, his teachings and actions may sound very strange. Do we serve the helpless? Do we feed the hungry? Do we serve in soup kitchens and food cupboards? Do we open our doors at odd hours so even the ugliest and the meanest freaks in town who beg for handouts and give get the bathrooms all messy so that they can have a place to worship? Do we treat the sick and feed the hungry like a Samaritan? Or do we let someone else do it? Do we fight for immigrant children separated from their parents? Do we deny immigrants today like we denied Jewish immigrants in the 30s and 40s? And do we expect a different outcome? Or do we provide a safe haven for them? Do we deny ourselves or do we buy that one more pair of sunglasses? Are we concerned, dare, dare I say, ashamed? 
Dare I say, ashamed that our friends might think we are Jesus freaks? And oh, even worse than that, a bleeding heart liberal? As we talk about and live social justice, peace, and love? Friends, every, every once in a while, God uses a two-by-four to get our attentions. For Jesus swung a big one today at Peter. I call them Donozo moments. You know Donozo, that NCIS character, right? Always getting smacked in the back of the head. Well, God uses two-by-fours, or in my case, it was a two-by-six, to get through the stubborn heads that we have what he really wants and really needs for us to do for him. Jesus tells Peter that he's getting it all wrong because you're not setting your mind on divine things, on divine things, but on human things. Of course, of course, Peter is looking at things from a human perspective, of course. He's a man, after all. How else can he look at things? How else can he understand Jesus except from a human perspective? You and I bring our humanity to our relationship with Jesus, just like Peter does. We see him as one who will support our human needs, our wants and desires, and we see him as one who will sustain the values we want to enhance. We see him as one who will enable us to become what we want to become. But Jesus' words to Peter suggest that he can and must gain another perspective that he can set his mind on divine things, on divine things. In Jesus, there is promise and hope that somehow the divine perspective on who we are and what we are breaks through. Through Jesus, God enables us to find a way that is different from the way of the world. Jesus enables us to discern how life is fulfilled as God intends it to be, enabling us to live by his values that are not embodied in the normal course of human affairs. Jesus puts God's perspective in stark terms for Peter and for us. We're to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, to follow him into a life of serving, into a life of giving and sacrificing. Then the promise, those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of gospel, we'll save it. Tim and I just finished setting, Tim and I just finished setting up the services from now through Epiphany. Yeah, we went right through Christmas. We bypassed that altogether. It's all done. And what that means is I began looking towards Easter. I did. I again contemplated what that looked like what the theme might be, that the way to Easter, my friends, the way to Easter Sunday goes through Good Friday, and the way to the empty tomb goes through Golgotha, and the way to the resurrection goes through the crucifixion. When Jesus tells us what he has this morning can lead it to anywhere else, friends, if you serve like you are called to do, if you plant like you are called to do, if you trust like you are called to do, if you worship like you're called to do, if you care like you're called to do, the Lord will not let you fail. He will not let you down. 
Be open. Be listening to God's plan for you. Be trusting. Jesus has it all under control. Be faithful. For we know that Jesus is even more than just the Messiah. Be loving. That is what Jesus has called us to do. What Jesus has called us to be. Even to those who we perceive as unlovable or as our enemies. Take up your cross, not someone else's, but yours, and follow Jesus. That's what our Lord asks of us. The Lord has never, ever let you down. The Lord has never let me down. The Lord has never let us down. Never. Amen. Let us pray.